Hello, everybody. <laughs> um, I feel like the, the privilege of sharing God's word never gets old. It's uh, so great to, to be here and to, to be able to speak his word. So I remember um, as a student having my heart absolutely sort of touched and my imagination captured by hearing the story of five men, five missionary men, uh, here they are, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, and Roger Uderin, and they lost their lives in an attempt to bring the gospel to the Wadani people in the rainforests of Ecuador. Uh, Jim Elliott um, said one of my favorite quotes ever. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And it's so profound, considering that he lost his life. So the Waodani, which actually means the people, they were previously known as the orcas, and that meant savages. So this, this operation was initially called Operation Orca, and um, yeah, the, so I don't know if they knew that that's what it meant, but anyway, the, the tribe was called the savages, and the reason for that was because they were known for their violence against outsiders, but also against their own people. They were a very violent, violent tribe. And so these men, with the intention of being the first Christians to evangelize the previously uncocked uncontacted Wadani, these missionaries began to make regular flights over the Wadani settlements in September 1955. What they did is they started dropping gifts. So they'd take the plane over with a bucket and drop gifts and just, you know, put the bucket down and people would take the stuff out. And then uh, I think once, once or twice that was reciprocated, that people actually put something in the bucket. But that was sort of how they started the contact. And then after several months of doing this, and they also used an amplifier to speak out friendly Waodani phrases, on January the 3rd, 1956, the missionaries established a camp on Palm Beach. It was called Palm Beach. It was basically a sandbar in the Karere, if I'm saying that right, river. It was a few kilometers away from, from the Waodani settlements. And then they called out on a loudspeaker for the people to come to that beach. And after four days... A Waodani man and two women appeared. And it was not easy for them to understand each other. The, the missionaries didn't know many phrases of their language. Um, but they had a meal together on the beach. And um, Nate Saint, who was the pilot, he actually flew with MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship. Our church actually supports a missionary who flies with MAF. So, um, yeah, after a few days... Um, Oh yeah, Nate Saint, he took that man up in for a flight and put down, and then those guys went back to, the people went back to the village. And two days later, um, two women came out of sort of the jungle, and uh, Pete and Jim, they were so excited to, to see them. They like waded through the water, went towards them, and next thing they heard this terrifying shout behind them, and ten warriors came out toward them with their spears raised. So the missionaries had decided that they would not do anything to defend themselves against people should they attack them, because they'd all promised that they would not kill Wadani people who didn't know Jesus, and so um, yeah, to save themselves from being killed. So within seconds, the warriors had thrown their spears and killed them all. All five of them were dead, and the news was broadcast around the world. But thankfully, and I think with God, there's always it's kind of a comma; it's not a, a full stop. Thankfully, God can turn tragedies into stories of redemption. And yeah, it's, it's so powerful how God works. So what happens is um, Jim's, Elliot, Jim's wife, Elizabeth Elliot, 
and Nate's sister, Rachel Saint, they were compelled to continue what was begun. Um, they studied the language of the Wadani. There was a lady named Dayama. She'd escaped from the tribe during a killing raid. And two years after the initial murders, these women were invited, through making contact with this lady, they were invited to go and stay with the Wadani in their village. So there you can see Elizabeth Elliot with her daughter, who was three years at the time. Her name was Valerie. Um, and then the bottom right, that's Rachel Saint. And Rachel actually ended up staying with the people until she died. And that was in um, 1994. Um, and she absolutely loved the people, and she basically gave her life. Um, and what was amazing is with them living with the people, sort of one by one, a few of the people started giving their lives to Christ. And um, the ladies were able to translate the Bible into their language and then at Rachel's funeral, which was in 1994, um, Steve Saint, who was Nate's son, so the pilot, who, um, Steve's, Steve was invited to go and live with the people. And um, because he had got to know the people during the summer holidays, he would visit his aunt, and um, he'd built a relationship with the people and learned the language. So he took his family, and they went and they lived there for a few years. But what's so incredible, it's just so powerful about the story, is if you think about the fact that Elizabeth had lost her husband, he was murdered, and Rachel had lost her brother, but they didn't burn with anger, they didn't hold bitterness in their hearts. They loved these people. They, they you know, forgiveness, forgiveness tools, guys, it's a real thing. They forgave, and then they showed God's love in the most incredible way. I mean, can you even imagine that? Someone who's closest to you is murdered, and then you go and you, you show that love to the people who had murdered your loved ones. And um, almost even more incredible was that Steve Saint and his sister Kathy, they were baptized by Kimo and Dwai, two of the men who had murdered his dad. And when I read this the other day, I just I literally wept. It's just the most incredible power or story of God's power of his love and his redemption. And there you can see that's um, Steve Saint and Menkai. He was one of the men who was on the beach who had murdered. And there you can see, I think that's um, Steve's sister being baptized. So being baptized by, you know, just, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Um, the fact that God's love was so powerful to transform lives. And that then being baptized by men who had murdered. It's, it's really incredible. Christian musician Stephen Curtis Chapman, he was so inspired by this story that he wrote a song called No Greater Love. And at the end of the song, Menkai, that man over there, um, who had murdered, he sings in his own language about God's forgiveness and God's mercy and God's grace and of his journey coming to know his maker and becoming a God follower. So they called themselves God followers. It really is incredible. These are some of the lyrics of the song. It says, there's no greater love than this. There is no greater gift that could ever be given to be willing to die so another might live. There is no greater love than this. And this is what these men did. They died so that others could find life in Jesus. But they did it because of Jesus' love for them. Jesus modeled it by his great sacrifice. And if you want to know what true love is, you know, it's interesting, you ask a lot of people, like, what is love? And a lot of people don't really know how to, you know, say what, what true love is. There's really only one place to look for the answer, and that is to look to God, to the one who created us, the one 
who is love. And I really do believe that God, God's love is the greatest thing in the world. It really is the greatest thing in the world. Um, yeah, so there's no greater love than what Jesus has done for us. And in that song that I was speaking about, another verse says this, this is the love that God showed the world when he gave us his son so that we could know his love forever beyond the gates of splendor. And um, there's a book called Gates of Splendor, and it's written by Elizabeth Elliot about you know, going through those gates of splendor. So this, this love, this greatest thing in the world, this is what transforms lives. This is really, and, and I think if we think about our country, what's going to transform our country is the transforming love of Jesus. And that's the love that transformed my life. Um, I'm not the same person that I used to be. And um, if you look at me and you think, wow, you're whatever, if, if you have to think I'm a good person or nice or kind, I just want to say that that's Jesus. That's his love in me. He's the one that has transformed me, and he's made me who I am. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas time. I think we need to keep on reminding ourselves this is what we're celebrating. We celebrate that a God, our God, who is love, became flesh, and he reached out to us in that love because of his love. So let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Okay. So it's 1 John 4, if you want to follow with us, it's up there. 1 John 4, verse 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another... For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. This is love, people. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I just think this is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture. It's so powerful. It's incredible. And it's an incredible statement about love and essentially about God. Did you know that the word love occurs 46 times in that little book of 1 John? It's a five-chapter book. The word love <laughs> occurs 46 times. And in this passage that we've just read, which was five verses, the word love occurs 13 times. Okay, if something's uh, repeated that much, you've got to know that it's quite important. So what John does here is he makes an appeal to these dear friends and to us. So he says they're dear friends, dear friends. In other translations, it says beloved, beloved, loved one, loved one of God. Beloved, let us love one another. Why should we love one another? Why? Why should we do this? Because love comes from God because God is love. God is love. That's the, God is love. <laughs> All delayed there. Okay, God is love. And surely this is one of the most profound statements in the Bible. God is love. But what does that really mean? We need to get a, a sense of this and realize, almost with awe, the implications of God is love. John is trying to communicate the essence of who God is, his nature and character. So actually God can't exist without loving. If you had to take love away from God, God wouldn't be God. 
because that's the essence, that's his nature. It's so much more than something he does. So it's true to say that God loves, God does love. Um, We can also say God cares, God creates, God protects. But in saying that God is love, we are speaking about who he is, his actual nature. John Piper puts it really beautifully. A little bit of a long quote. I'll I'll read it to you. (laughs) God is love. In a word, I think it means something like this. God's absolute fullness of life and truth and beauty and goodness and all other perfections is such that he is not only self-sufficient, but also in his very nature overflowing. His love overflows. God is so absolute, so perfect, so complete, so full, so inexhaustibly resourceful, so joyful that he is by nature a giver, a worker, a worker for others, a helper, a protector. What it means to be God is to be full enough always to overflow, never to need, never murmur, never pout. God is love. The implications for the way that we live are big, the implications of this. So not only is God love, he's also sacrificial love. This Christmas, as we celebrate the greatest gift ever, Jesus being born as a human baby, he is Emmanuel, God with us, it can be helpful for us to remember the bigger picture. So there's a bigger picture here, that he came as a baby so that he could grow up, take our sins upon him, and die on the cross so that we could have full redemption, so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And that is the display of God's love. God's love is seen in the sacrifice of Jesus. God's love is seen in the sacrifice of Jesus. So let's read this verse again, 1 John 4, verse 9 to 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He initiated it. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Where it says, this is how God showed his love among us, other translations say, in this the love of God was made manifest. That's how we clearly see it. That's how it becomes visible by what he did for us. This is how we know that God is love. And here we see the greatness of his love because of the fact that he sent his one and only son that we might live through him. This is not, uh, it's not like one of his many sons. It wasn't a messenger or an angel. This was God's one and only precious son. When he says one and only son, we think back to, to John 3 verse 16. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The purpose of him sending Jesus was for us for little me, for you. That's why Jesus came. He didn't have to come. He came for you. He came for me. And that's really what Christmas is about. God's amazing plan of redemption, of him restoring our broken relationships with him because he has love for us. Does that make sense? Are you guys following? Yeah. Okay. David Jackman writes this. This is love. Its source is in God It is manifest in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Its purpose is the blessing of a multitude of lives made right with God through the death of his son. I just want to point out um, that in these verses, it says twice that he sent his son. He sent his son. 
So there's something special about Jesus being sent. God is the sending one, and he's the sent one at the same time. So he sends out Jesus, but because Jesus is God, he's also the sent one. That's God's heart. He he's, has this heart that reaches out. It shows God's giving and selfless nature. It was at huge cost that the Father sent Jesus out on this mission. Jesus left the glory of heaven and the companionship of his Father. I read this quote that says, Agape love, that's God's unconditional love, is a love that takes initiative towards others. It doesn't wait and say, why is nobody reaching out to me? Nobody cares. No, it's a love that reaches out. It reaches out to others first. God first loved us. And this kind of love is all about giving, which is why God sent Jesus for the sake of others. And I really believe that once we are in a relationship with God, he sends us to be a blessing to others. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you are a blessing to others. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we are created to have a positive impact on the world and on those around us. We are called to partner with God in bringing his kingdom to earth. So what we see here is that, okay, God's love is seen in the sacrificial love of Jesus, but God's love is also seen in our love for others. That's how we actually see God's love, in the way that we love other people. So let's read this again, John 4, verse 11 to 12, 1 John 4, verse 11 to 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete, with, complete in us. And it's interesting there that John uses that word ought. He doesn't say, mm, it might be a good idea if you love other people, or uh, here's my suggestion, maybe love these people. No, he puts it really strongly. We ought to love one another. And why ought we to do this? Because God so loved us, as the previous verses tell us. We have an obligation to love one another because of the amazing love that God has for us. Loving others should also be our response to God's amazing love. You know, if someone does something for you, you're just like, oh, that's so kind, I want to do something. You know, God's done this incredible thing for us. So our response should just be to love, to keep loving Verse 12 is one of my favorites. I really love verse 12. This love that we have gives evidence of the reality of God. So just think about that for a second. So when we're loving others, it gives us evidence that God is real. Evidence that God is real. The love between us, I'm not talking about romantic love. I mean, that, that's maybe a part of it. I'm talking about loving people should reveal the love of God to the world should reveal God's love to other people. When we love each other as God has called us to love, we will show the world that God is real and that his love is transforming and that it's for everyone. God doesn't make any distinctions. It's for everyone. In John 13 verse 35, Jesus says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. And how incredible is it that John, that John should say, when we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So as we're doing the loving, God's love is made complete in us. It's kind of a bit of a mystery, but that's what God says. So 
There it is. Okay. Jackman also says, God's love finds its completion by creating in us that same kind of self-giving love as his. So that love inside us creates this selfless love of loving others. When we love, we are being who God created us to be. Think about that. When you love someone, you are being what God has created you to be. So what does this love, this greatest thing in the world, look like practically? This, this love that is willing to sacrifice for others, to lay down its life so that others may live. Well, I think before we actually get on to loving others, we need to know that we are fully and completely loved so that we don't try and do this loving thing out of our own strength and then we just end up exhausted and whatever. Um, and it's as this love grows and grows within us, it's almost like it can't help but overflow onto other people. This love that God has put within us is there by his spirit. In um, Romans 5, it speaks about how God's poured out his love into our hearts by the spirit whom he's given us. So he's put this love there by his spirit, and we need to remain close to him, which is what Jesus spoke about in John chapter 15, where he says, remain in me, abide in me. So if you think about it, if you want something to grow, if you have a baby, if you have a plant, if you have, you know, whatever you have, an animal, if you want that thing to grow, you're going to feed it, all right? It's kind of not really rocket science. You're going to feed it. Um, If you want God's love to grow in you, this love that he's lavished upon us, we need to keep feeding ourselves with the truth that we are loved. Does that make sense? So, I mean, you're not just going to leave a baby and say, oh, well, you're meant to grow, so I'm just going to leave you there, you know. (laughs) You're going to feed it so that it grows. Well, I hope you don't. Please feed your children, feed your friends, feed feed your plants and animals. Um, But it's the same way. If we want this love to grow, we need to feed it with the truth that we are loved. And this truth, you're going to find in this amazing book, this one and others that you have, or on your phone, just find it, it's going to be there. This is the living and active word of God, and God uses it to speak to us. He tells us through his word, many, many times in this book, how much we are loved. I'm just going to give you a few little examples of that. Firstly, Colossians 3 verse 12, he starts off this this beautiful little piece by saying, therefore, as God's chosen people Holy and dearly loved. You're holy and dearly loved when you're in Christ. You're also loved if you're not in Christ yet, but (laughs) God's plan is he wants you all to be in him. Um, John 15 verse 9 says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So think about this for a moment. Jesus loves you with the same love that his Father loves him. That's incredible love. That's just like, it's really a, a lot, a lot, 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 lot of love. Actually, we can't even begin to imagine how much love it is. And that's how much God loves us with. And um, I have to put this one in. Um, 1 John 3 verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's what we are. God has lavished his love upon us. Um, The Passion Translation says this, very cool. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he's lavished on us. He's called us, and he's made us his very own beloved children. People, we need to make it a habit to get the truth of what God says about us into our hearts, into our lives, so that we can live out 
what he's made us to do, to love others. Well, loving him and loving others. So the more we know how much we love, we are loved, the more we can love others. As we grow in this knowing, we can practically step out and love people with our actions and with our lives. Everything we do should be focused on loving God first and then loving others. So it's that love results from as we love God, we naturally want to love others. We're called to be Jesus' hands and feet on this earth, which means we need to do things that show his love. Um, This is what Teresa of Avila said. Very powerful. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Powerful, eh? We are called to just practically be his hands and feet here on earth. And maybe ask God how you can best love people around you. He's put you in specific places that I won't be or that other, other people won't be so that you can love those people who are there. I'm not advised at the moment, but there's people who are. So you love those people there. You know, we've got to love the people that God has put in front of us. We can't just say that we love people. We need to show it. God demonstrated his love through Jesus. We need to show that love because that's what Jesus did. He showed his love by coming into the world, and then he loved people with his deeds. He healed healed people from sickness and disabilities. He set the oppressed free. He raised the dead. He preached the good news to the poor. He gave dignity to the downtrodden. He fought against racism and sexism. And so much more. He showed God's love practically. And God has such a heart for the poor and the vulnerable and the impressed. And we are called to have that same heart within us. As we approach Christmas time, I think we would do well. We actually need to make it a point that we bear in mind the fact that we are called to love the poor and the you know, vulnerable and the orphan and the widow. And not just be focused on presents and food and ourselves. Listen to what 1 John 3, verse 16 to 18 says. And here again, John tells us what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The NLT says this, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. Let us show this truth by our actions. If we see others in need, we can't just walk past. Cape Town is a very, very beautiful city, but it's also a very broken city. We just have to drive five minutes down the road to see that. And I'm sure it really breaks God's heart. But he's put us here. He's put us here so that we can make a difference. And how can we show the truth of God's love by our actions? What is your part? What is my part in bringing hope and healing to our city, to our land? People, we need to act. We need to show God's love. 
There is no greater love than a love that sacrifices itself for the sake of others. So will you take time this Christmas to remind yourself, firstly, of the truth that you are loved, you are loved beyond measure. Perhaps tonight you need to ask God to show you his love in you. Maybe you need to ask God to show you his love, or maybe you want to experience that love for the first time. And then will you determine in your heart to be Jesus' hands and feet and body this Christmas? Will you be his hands and feet and body in the world? And then each day going forward into the new year and for the rest of our lives. Will you seek to love others with the beautiful love that God has loved you with? Let's let it overflow from us. And as we do, we will change the world for God. Let us be those who bring his kingdom to earth by a love revolution. We can start this love revolution that's just going to change the world. Amen. Amen.